every fall, I began praying for God to give me a verse and a theme for the church, the ministry uh, for the approaching year. And after several months of prayer, God directed my heart and my attention to Second Peter chapter number 3. And we're going to read some verses out of this passage, but particularly verse number 11 will be our theme for this year, our theme verse and our theme for our ministry. And I'll read this verse, but then we'll go back and read several verses, then we'll dive into this text. But Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 11, Seeing then, and in a few moments we're going to look at the verses before that to see what the writer was referring to. But seeing then, that all these things shall be dissolved. Say this little phrase out loud with me. What manner of person ought ye to be? Say that with me again. What manner of persons ought ye to be? A lot of times we put emphasis on do. Do this, do right, do this, don't do that. But I believe a lot of times the emphasis ought to be on be and not do. Because if you'll be right, you'll do right. If you'll be holy, you'll do holy. And a lot of people are so concerned about what they do, they forget what they ought to be. And I believe this morning that, this is not good English, but it's good preaching. I believe this morning what we be will determine what we do. So that's our theme verse for this year. What manner of persons ought ye to be? And I want to ask you this question. What will you be in 23? What will you be for God in 23? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hastening until the coming day of God. For him the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, I love this, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein, say this with me, dwelleth righteousness. And here in Second Peter 3, the apostle is reminding them of that day when Christ will come in all of his glory. And in light of the second coming, Simon Peter, he asked you and I this question, what manner of person ought ye to be? And I believe in 2023, we ought to be all we must be and all we should be and all we can be for the cause of Christ. Now, any time in the New Testament you come to these epistles, whether it's Paul, whether it's John the Beloved, whether it's James, or whether it's Jude, or whether it's Simon Peter in this epistle, every one of these letters are written usually with a threefold purpose in mind. Number one, to commend the saints of God that have been faithful. And encourage them to keep on being faithful for the cause of Christ. Number two, usually these epistles were written to straighten or righten a doctrinal error that had crept into the church. And I really believe that in these last days, 
If the devil can pollute the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the church, the faith of the church, it aids him in winning his battle. I was eating breakfast this morning with some men. One of them said they was at a gathering last night. And the particular denomination that these people were in, he's not one, but the particular denomination, the people that he was with are in, made this statement. They said, we need wisdom for this coming year because we don't know what to do because our denomination is beginning to drift away from the teachings of the Bible. And they said, and it's not about music and it's not about the style of worship. There's a group of people in our denomination that are no longer accepting or believing. Listen to this now. In the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of those men who's not a Baptist, he spoke up and made this statement. He said, well, if Jesus Christ is not the living, risen Savior, why go to church? Because that is the whole foundation of the Christian faith. And I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. If Christ be not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. Our hope is in vain. Our life is in vain. And we're not just miserable, but we of all men most miserable. But I believe that that's a sign of the day that which we live in. That men will heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to argue with you about certain things and certain lifestyles and certain manners of dress or certain manners of music, but I will argue with you till the cows come home about the virgin birth, the inspiration of the scriptures, the blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the cardinal doctrines in which we base Christianity upon. And I want to say this today, it may be questioned by some religious leaders of our day. It may be even questioned and lampooned about some pastors and preachers of our day. But may I remind you that the foundation of God standeth sure. And the Bible is still true and the doctrines of God are still holy and righteous and pure. And so when you have these epistles, it's writing to commend the saints to usually writing a doctrinal era that's crept into the church. But number three, every one of these epistles, every one of them are written to prepare you and I for the greatest day on God's prophetic time clock is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I know that in our day that that subject is lampooned. It is made fun of. And I thought about this. If you don't believe that Christ arose from the dead, more than likely you're not going to believe that Christ bodily, literally, physically is going to come back again someday. But can I say this to you? Just as sure, just as sure as Jesus arose from that grave, just as sure as he swept out the tomb, just as sure as he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Just as sure as he is a risen, reigning Savior, he is a soon-returning Savior. And I will agree that the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of Christianity. 
But I want to add this morning that the second coming of Christ is the hope of the church. That is what we look for. That is what we long for. That is what we labor for. And the Bible even says we love the very thought that some golden daybreak Jesus will come. Yes, the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of our faith, but the second coming of Jesus Christ is the hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe the hymn writers said it best when they put it like this, Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. But rising he justified freely forever, and one day he's coming, all glorious day. Just as sure as Jesus came on time the first time, he will come on time the second time. Because the Bible said that he that will come will come and will not tarry. And so when you come to Second Peter, He's writing to the church. He's writing to the Christians with all three of these purposes in mind. To encourage the faithful to keep on being faithful. To remind the church it pays to serve the Lord. He is writing to remind us that no matter how many people may scoff or lampoon the doctrines of Christ, Christ is still the King. Christ is still the Lord. He's still the risen Savior. And he wrote to prepare you and I for the next event on God's prophetic time clock, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the light of that, in the light of that, he said, seeing then because of that, it encourages you and I, it abolishes you and I. Yes, it even challenges you and I. What manner of person ought we to be? I believe this day in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe this day in the light of the truth that Christ is coming again. May we every day in 2023 be what we could be, be what we should be, be what we ought to be. And let me add it like this, be what we wish we should have been when we stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I believe this morning, if you are a spirit-filled Christian, it is a longing in your heart that when you stand before the one who loved you and died for you, you want to hear him say with all of your heart, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so in the light of the coming of the Lord, he challenges us to be what we ought to be for the glory of God. There are three things in the passage that I want you to see this morning that ought to stir and challenge us to be what we ought to be in 23. Number one in the passage, I want you to see the day that is coming. The day that is coming. Now in this passage twice, it is referred to as the day of the Lord, the day of our great God. But when you read verses 1 down through verse number 12, you find he is talking about three particular days. There are three particular days in the first 11 verses 
that's coming. And in light of that, we ought to be a Christian like never before. Day number one is a day of great sin. A a day of great rebellion. A day of great iniquity. And in the third chapter, the Holy Spirit kind of illustrates it like this. Men will walk and live after their own lust. Now, ladies and gentlemen, they may not have mean anything to you. If you're here today and you're 75 years old and above, when you was a young person, that may not have meant that much. That there'll be a day when men will live after their own lust. But if you live in this world today and you realize how wicked and ungodly and against God this world is in, can you imagine a society with no morals, no restraints, no restrictions, and they live according to their own lust? All you have to do is go back to the Old Testament, to a book called the book of Judges, where there are two main statements over and over again in that passage. Statement number one, and every man did that which is right in their own eyes. But the second statement, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it amazing when man does what's right in his own eyes? He does evil in the sight of the Lord. And I'm telling you, we're living in days of great sin like we've never lived in before. While there's preachers now, we preach against things. We warn our people against things. That we, that years ago when I was a little toe-headed boy, people didn't even talk about in private, much less in public. You say, well, why do you think a preacher ought to stand and preach? Because these young boys and girls coming up, they need to know what's right. They need to know what's wrong. And they need to learn it from the Word of God and the pulpits of our land. I really believe this morning we don't have a, a, a politician failure in this country. We have a clergy failure in this country. I, I don't believe we can sit and point our finger at the government and say, because of this, and because of this, and because of this. I'm going to tell you something. The church house lost the fire and the anointing and the boldness and the backbone many, many, many years ago. But I want to say, I know we're living in days of great rebellion and days of great sin. But what a wonderful time to be a Christian. It's time now to stand up and shine the light. Because the darker the night, the brighter the light. And in the days of sin in which we live, it's time to be a light for God and be a witness for God and be bold for God. A day of great sin. Secondly, it is a day of great apostasy. The Bible plainly tells us in verses 1 through 11 that in this day apostasy will come and they will scoff, listen to this, they will literally scoff at the very mention that Christ is coming. In fact, he even made the statement that men will say in the last day, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? I love it when people ask me that. In fact, ask me that real quickly. Where is the promise of his coming? Ask me that. Where is 
the promise of his coming. I'll tell you where it is. It's in the pages of this blessed book. I'll tell you where it is. It's on the lips of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's one more personal than that. It's in the longing and the depths of my heart. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Days of apostasy, days of falling away, where the world will look like the church and act like the church and, and, and there be no difference between the world and the church and the church and the world. But I am not discouraged about the days of apostasy. No, I am not discouraged at all about the days of a falling away. I am encouraged that we have the truth more than ever. And we have the anointing more than ever. And we have the responsibility more than ever to shine the light and be something for Christ and be something for God. Because in spite of the sin, in spite of the apostasy, God is still real and the Bible is still true and God still sets upon His throne. And what a wonderful day to pray for revival in the day and hour in which we live. The days that are coming, a day of sin, a day of apostasy. But oh, that great day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That great day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is described in our text in verse 10 and verse number 11. As a thief in the night. He said the world will be in their sin. The church will be caught up in their apostasy. But remember the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. I thought about this the other day. Why in the world? Of all of the analogies the Holy Spirit could use to, to compare the coming of Christ to a thief in the night. Why in the world would he use that comparison? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't believe anybody wants a thief to come. I don't believe anybody's praying for a thief to come. In fact, that's why the thief comes in the night. He comes thinking maybe you're asleep and you're not aware. And to this world, ladies and gentlemen, Christ is going to come as a thief in the night. They're not praying for the Lord to come. They're not looking for the Lord to come. They're not expecting for the Lord to come. But aren't you glad for that wonderful verse that the Bible said that he will come in such an hour that you think not? But I think it's more than the timing of his coming. I believe it's the person of his coming that he uses this analogy. I'm not going to ask you this. Well, I will, but don't raise your hand. Anybody got up this morning real early from a late night out and you didn't have time to make the bed. So you left it. In fact, if you are in this room tonight, this morning and you are a man and, and you make up a bed, you are a disgrace in the sight of God and you're letting the rest of us down. Because you're going to crawl back in it in just a moment. How many had some company over yesterday and you thought they would never leave? In fact, you did what Julie's grandpa Wishon did one time. Julie and us and some people were there. And maybe we were having such a good time. About 10 o'clock, you know, there are some old people that go to bed at 10 o'clock, you know. Uh, a lot of people today are old and they go to bed at 10 o'clock. And uh, he would say, Lorraine, I think me and you need to go to bed so our company can leave. Amen. And, and maybe you had a late night and the company came and stayed too long. And you got up this morning and said, look. 
I can either go to church or stay home and do the dishes. And anybody, anybody that stays home and does dishes, instead of coming here, this choir sing, and that boy right there preach, you need a mental evaluation. Your wife asked you four times yesterday to take out the trash. And you said, between halftime, I'm going to do it. Halftime came and went four times, and the trash is still there. And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, while I'm at church, a thief is going to break in my house. He's going to make up the bed. He's going to wash the dirty dishes. He's going to have dinner cooked for me when I come home. Huh? Most of his wives won't even have it ready when you get home, especially if they're my age. Say amen right there. But I'm here to tell you, know that thief, he's not coming to take out the trash. He's not coming to do the dirty dishes. Gosh, he's not coming to run the vacuum cleaner and make up the bed. He's coming for the jewels. He's coming for the valuable things. He's coming for that which is precious. Now I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, one of these days when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ steps off of that throne and splits the eastern sky, He's not coming for the garbage disposals and the waste disposals of this world. He's coming for the jewels. He's coming for the church. He's coming for that peculiar bride that's been procured by the Holy Spirit and washed in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Yes, there is a day approaching. It is a day of sin. It is a day of apostasy. But it is the great day that Jesus will come and the saints of God will leave this world. And in the light of that, let's be what we ought to be. 23, there's a day that is coming. Secondly, verse 12 in our text, there is a duty that is commanded. In the light of the day that is coming, there is a duty that is commanded. Look in verse 11, our text. Seeing that these things are going to come to pass. Seeing that these things shall be dissolved. Seeing that this world will be on fire and all of the eternal things of God are going to matter. Seeing then, he said, what manner of persons ought you to be. And he goes on to verse 11 and verse 12 to talk about being holy and righteous and godly and living pure and living clean. May I say two things this morning in the light of our duty. The way we live, the way we love, and the way we labor is going to make a difference. You say, what should we do in this day and hour of great sin? Shine the light like never before. You say, what should we do, preacher, in this day of great apostasy? Lift up the truth and blow the gospel trumpet like never before. Do you understand something, church? Every time a church or a denomination or religious sect goes astray and goes awry and leaves the fundamentals of the faith and leaves the fundamental doctrines of Jesus Christ and the gospel, that that does not hinder us. That ought to encourage us to buckle up our belt, load our weapons, Stand our ground and preach like never before and build a church like never before. Let me say it like this. Atlanta, Georgia has never needed the church more than it needs it today. Our towns, our state, our city, our hamlets, our friends, our families, they need God more than ever. They need the light more than ever. They need hope more than ever. I believe there is a sense of hopelessness That's crept in a lot of people's minds and lives. But if anybody ought to be stepping high this morning and say, 
if you're looking for hope, praise God, there is a place where the hope of God is still shining. And I want to say in the light of his coming, in the light of apostasy, let's don't close down the church. Let's don't miss church. Let's don't close up our mission giving. Let's don't stop knocking on doors. Let's don't stop singing the praises of God. But in the light of the coming of the Lord, onward Christian soldiers, march on today. Pray on today. Worship on today. Keep living for God. Keep throwing out the lifeline. Keep shining the light. Keep lifting high the blood-stained banner. Be what we ought to be, what we should be, what we can be for the cause of Christ in this day and hour in which we live. Because there's a day that is coming. There is a duty that is commanding. But no number three, I want you to notice in the text, verse 12 and verse 13, there is a delight that is comforting. You say, Brother Joe, how do you see a delight that is comforting in the midst of scoffers, in the midst of apostasy, in the midst of great sin? Well, look what it says in verse 12. Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God. Look in verse number 13. Nevertheless, nevertheless. You know what kind of spirit we need in 2023? One of them kind right there. Nevertheless. We're going to have problems. Sure we are. Nevertheless. I heard somebody say early this morning in a conversation, boy, if we just knew every heartache, if we just knew every valley, if we just knew every setback that was going to come our way in this coming year, we could avoid it. No, number one, I'm glad we don't know. God in mercy has shielded us from the unknown. Because if every one of us knew how dark it may get and how low the valley may get and what disappointment and what setback we'll have in the coming year, but we wouldn't be able to stand it. We'd lose our mind. Oh, but I'm not looking for disappointment. It'll come on its own. I'm not looking for setbacks. They'll come on their own. I'm not looking for sickness and disease. It'll come on its own. You don't have to look for that. Now, if you're here and you're not an Andy Griffith fan, you will not get this next illustration. But if you're here and you're not an Andy Griffith fan, I pray God will save you in the coming year and help you. But as they said, as Ernest T. Bass said about that little girl's Boyfriend, Doug Wash. Andy, he's a pestilence. And you don't have to look for a pestilence. A pestilence, a fine you. I'm not looking for setbacks this year. They'll come on their own. I'm not looking for disappointment this year. It'll come on its own. Doug, we're not looking for more sickness. It'll come on its own. But I'll tell you what I am looking for. I'm looking in haste and longing for the coming day of God. Hey, this ought to be our attitude. This may be the moment. This may be the year. This may be the hour. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I know the problems will come and the setbacks will come and the disappointments will come and the hurt will come. But I wonder how many in this room this morning on New Year's Day of 2023 will say, Preacher, by the help of God, I want to have a nevertheless spirit and the nevertheless attitude and the nevertheless faith. No matter the storm, no matter the darkness, 
nevertheless, nevertheless, we're still looking for him and we're still longing for home. I didn't plan on that one. Can I say that again? Nevertheless, we're still looking for him and we're still longing for home. I enjoyed that so much. Can I say that one more time? In the light of the coming of the Lord, we still look for him and we're still longing for home. Because, ladies and gentlemen, one day everything that we know will burn and melt with fervent heat. But our hope is not in Atlanta. Our hope is not in the stock market. Have you noticed every time you read the the news blogs, it's one warning after another? We're going to run out of gas. We're going to run out of diesel fuel. We're going to run out of bacon. We're going to run out of Pepsi Cola. Man, some of you heard we're going to run out of snuff, and you've been crying ever since. And we got some young girls around here that's been trying some of that. You need to leave that alone. But I'm here to tell you, everything, every time you turn around, this is going to happen. Don't buy a house. Don't sell a house. Don't buy a car. Yes, buy a car. We're not going to have this. We're not going to have that. Because there's so much uncertainty in this world. But can your pastor give you some things that are very certain in 2023 that you can count on? The Bible is true. Christ is alive. The Holy Spirit stills and powers the church. And Jesus Christ is still coming again. I've come to tell you, no matter how bad it looks, how bad it tastes, how bad it feels, how bad it sounds, we still look for him and we still long for home. Because there's a day that's coming. There's a duty that is commanding. There is a delight that is comforting. May I say to you this morning, in light of Jesus coming, May we be what we can be, what we should be, what we ought to be. And let me add what we wish we had have been when we stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were coming home from my mom's who lives in Burlington and going back to where Julie's parents live in Yakinville, North Carolina. And to get from Burlington to Yakinville, you have to get on Interstate 40. In fact, the, the, the saying up there is when Jesus comes, he's coming down 40. I do know this, Lord. I know you know everything, but you need to stay off 75 or you'll never get to Jonesboro, Georgia. But we rode through the little sleepy town of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Winston-Salem has two high-rise buildings. One is the Owakovia Bank building. It hadn't been called Walk Over You since Moby Dick was a mentor. And the other one, R.J. Reynolds. If you, if you know anything about R.J. Reynolds, they're in a, a certain ministry that helps people. And uh, it's not cannabis, but it's old-fashioned tobacco. And that's the two, two big buildings in Winston. I had a friend of mine that pastored in the shadow of those buildings for 50 years, Zeno Gross. Zeno Gross said when he was a little boy, he heard a little story about an old tobacco farmer. He had to go down to that walk over your bank building. Now at that time, that was the biggest in the whole state, except for those in Charlotte and Raleigh. And said he brought his little boy with him and said he set him out on a little bench. He said, no, son, you wait here. I've got to go up in that tall building for some business. 
But you wait here, son. I'll be back. And when we get back, when I get back, we'll go to the house. So the little boy, while he was sitting on that bench and his dad was way up in that, for them, high-rise building, tending to business, the lightning began to flash. The thunder began to roll. The wind began to blow. The clouds got dark and the rain began to fall. That little boy just sitting on that bench in the storm, looking up toward that high-rise building. They said a businessman came by and said, Son, you need to get inside. You need to get away from the storm. You need to get out of this rain. Come on inside, son. That little boy said to that man, he said, Sir, my daddy told me to wait for him. He said, You see, sir, my daddy is up there. and He promised me he's coming back down here. And when he gets back down here, we're going to the house. He said, but son, it's storming. Son, the lightning's flashing. Son, the thunder's rolling. Son, it's raining. He said, sir, my daddy never said that it wouldn't storm. He didn't say the lightning wouldn't flash. He didn't say anything about the thunder. He didn't say anything about the wind. He just said, I'm going up yonder. And I'm coming back down here. When I get back, we're going to the house. Oh, I thought about that, ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago, my heavenly Savior left out of here on the Mount of Olives and said, I'm going back. I'm going back so I can send the Holy Spirit. I'm going back to intercede for you. I'm going back to prepare a place. And I'm going up yonder, but I'm coming back down here and when I get back down here, we're going to the house. And brother, we're looking and hasting and waiting. You say, but the lightning's flashing. He didn't say it wouldn't. You say, but it's getting dark. He didn't say it wouldn't. Oh, but the storms are aging. He didn't say anything about the weather, the changing of the times. He just said, wait for me. I'm going up, but I'm coming back. And I've come to tell the church today, wait on him, look for him, serve him. He's coming again. And when he comes, we're going to the house. And I believe when we see him face to face, we'll be glad that we lived for him.